0: wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Quick shout out to the geeks and sneaks out there who are powering through a run or a workout right now, using DLC to get them through. DLC, of course, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing DLC to you. DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff canada That's with two N's and one T. And I'm usually joined by my friend-slash-co-host-slash-nemesis, Christian Spicer. He, however, has a uh, a little conflict right here at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, but he should be joining us shortly. But that's okay, because we have an awesome guest to fill in while Christian is away. DLC is always your downloadable Kanata. It's usually your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, we're excited because DLC stands for Demonstrating He's Living Currently. We have the one and only, the very much not dead, Mr. (laughs) Adam Sessler. Welcome, Adam.
1: Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here in a corporeal state. (laughs) um, Yeah, after yesterday's revelation that somebody had gotten on my Wikipedia entry and said I had died, which is easily one of the most bizarre things you can wake up to. So what what was that
0: like you woke up you you heard rumors I guess you got a lot of tweets from people saying are you alive?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean it was a lot of people kind of calling it out that it couldn't be true. Um and it's just that moment of yeah, I would say there's about 20 25 seconds where like it had an air of malevolence that someone <laughs> out there that you don't know has declared you dead and then it took on this kind of surreal comedic quality, but then I realized that I probably had to do some work to notify my parents or, you know, other people <laughs> that might somehow have it filtered to them and they would be caught off guard. It was, That's uh, crazy. But, you know, it, I, I think the fun part was is like all of yesterday, I kind of started to look at it as like slightly borrowed time. And like every game I sat down to play, I'm like, okay, what if this was my last game?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you have a new lease on life without even having to have that pesky near-death
1: experience. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I got to see people write epitaphs about me, which, you know, is not one of those kind of strange adolescent fantasies. Like, oh, you'll be so sorry if I'm not here, but you want to hang around and see how sorry they are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you get to visit your own funeral and hear what people say about you. Exactly. well we 're very glad that you 're still alive and well um, it 's been a while since you 've been sort of in the public eye you know obviously you were a host on uh, on um, uh, you know your show on g four and and have been a big part of the gaming landscape forever uh, It seems uh, what are you up to
1: these days well i mean i 'm I'm, I'm in that 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 green pasture for a lot of ex journalists called uh, consulting uh, so obviously mm-hmm. a lot of what I do is not for public knowledge, you know, it's kind of working quietly behind the scenes with the team, with the company, obviously with a large NDA kind of sitting over you. But um, some of the fun stuff that I've been able to do that came out last year is games that I just have a particular interest in. Uh, In one case it was Evolve, in another case it was um, Mikami's The Evil Within. uh, That, you know, I'll go ahead and do what I still love doing, which is conducting interviews and talking to people who are far more intelligent and creative than I am and really kind of do these nice, deep interviews that are kind of designed for that core community, to just get a better understanding of the process, the thought process, and the creative process, and the design process of putting these games together. So yeah. uh, I think there'll still be some of that going on in the future, but um, a lot of the other stuff isn't too public, with the one exception of a uh, a really interesting company I'm working with called Roto VR, that mm-hmm. are working on a chair that is trying to address some of the um, sort of wide concerns that come up with uh, virtual reality headsets. Uh, it, puking. Puking. No, no. Puking is the biggest concern, right? It it, it does start to address that, but the original inception of it was it's the cord management that you want to have this 360 experience in your chair, but you can't really go a full 360 without asphyxiating yourself. Or worse. Um, right. And, you know, so it obviously allows for the cores to come into a stationary base and you can go a full 360. Now, a funny thing that has come out of this is uh, they were just showing it off, the, the, the prototype, not the final model, um, at EGX Resed. It's a consumer-facing show that's out in, I believe it's consumer-facing, out in London. I unfortunately couldn't make it out there. Uh, but they were showing it off with Alien Isolation. And what mm. they had noticed in, in, in the previous months is that you start to play the game the way you should, which is guiding yourself by your head. You know, that's how we are, you know, ambulatory. Our head goes Mm -hmm. first and our body kind of follows in suit. And people were doing that rather than using that left, joystick or, or thumbstick as their own head. And that's, mm-hmm. that causes a lot of the nausea and the discombobulation. And when you're moving your head and that's how you're moving around the world, your water table in your ear is far more consistent with what your body's actually doing and what you're actually seeing. And it seems to have alleviated nausea for a large group of people that have always been a little bit uncomfortable with VR for that very legitimate reason. Um, and the, the third part of the chat that's really, really cool is that it has an SDK. And you can program mm. into the chair so that the chair will move against your will. So be it oh, a movie wow. or be it a certain type of game, you can start to really kind of take advantage of the 360 degree properties of VR in a way that kind of can heighten drama, add to entertainment or something like that. So um, so it's like, uh, that,
0: like, it, what, like when you're playing oh, no, Gears of War and uh, in Gears of War, you're, you're, you know, you're controlling the camera, you're fighting stuff, and then there's a moment where you hold Y and it – makes your view go to see something cool this would be the sort of virtual reality equivalent right
1: right and you're not but i I think the fun part is you're not getting that signal because you know when you see that y button in gears of war it's like something big's about to happen here Mm -hmm. it can deliver that sense of surprise and awe the way it should be which is kind of in a more organic manner that doesn't require uh player input which is you know somewhat sort of an artificial way of getting that moment of drama
0: Yeah, really cool. And so I feel like that opens up this not just to gaming, but also to just sort of narrative film experiences.
1: I mean, I'm actually really, really excited about that aspect of VR. Uh, You know, when I think it was David Attenborough um, had announced maybe last year his interest in working with Oculus on his nature documentaries. I mean, I would be more than happy to spend a couple of hours in a part of the world I will probably never have access to in Borneo or something like that. And yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, especially with this device, the, the the Roto, it has applications that are just as, if not more exciting in sort of narrative entertainment or, or documentary entertainment than uh, just interactive entertainment.
0: Yeah. So cool. I'm also, I was watching the video and obviously haven't had any kind of hands-on with it. Uh, and I think the challenge with all of this VR tech is giving a sense of what the advantages are without people actually getting to firsthand experience oh. cuz you see someone it's- sitting in a chair and rotating around it's like oh what what's the big deal um but yeah. but it looks it looks really cool I, I think it's most interesting too how they're sort of uh selling it or it's it's a kickstarter right now but they yes. they yep. the levels that you can acquire the product are in stages so you can you can buy just the sort of base and plug your own chair into it or they'll sell you the chair and the thing or the chair and the thing and a table so it's really modular in that way you can plug your own seat right into it right
1: Well, it's also because we were anticipating that the way VR is kind of going to get rolled out, that we're not going to see, say, the most sophisticated applications until a little ways out. You know where you might need a table if you have a flight stick or you have a steering wheel that we might be looking at sort of more modest interactive experiences in the beginning that wouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily require that and so people can kind of ease themselves into the process and obviously it can help reduce cost so you know if you've already bought a VR headset you're not having to buy the whole kit and caboodle of the Roto you can buy you know the part that you really want to have which is that stationary base so you can have the full 360 experience but you're absolutely right about how challenging it is to try to sell something to people that it really is conceptually so hard to describe if you haven't experienced it yourself. I mean, that's the issue yeah. with VR. And, you know, we're doing a Kickstarter where we want people to invest in not that much money uh, to, for something that is essential to VR. It's almost like um, we're trying to sell head and shoulders to people that don't have scalps yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so true. There, you know, there, there definitely is kind of a steep hill to climb in trying to convince people that this thing they don't have is going to need this other thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But you have had uh, hands-on with it though, right?
1: You've, you've experienced it. Um, I have just been working with them remotely. They're, they're based in the United Kingdom. Uh, So I have worked with with them quite a bit uh, on many aspects Uh, in in particular, the design. One of the things I was quite, you know, uh, strong on is, you know, I live in a city, you live in the city, Jeff. I don't Mm -hmm. have like a ton of space or a garage or anything like that where I can have my sort of restful activities and that size was of, of, of great importance. Something I could bring into my home where my wife wouldn't leave me and doesn't take yeah, right. a, a ton of space, you know, was 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 very important. And then we also realized a lot of people who were probably gonna be excited with this product initially are going to be VR game developers or VR developers. Yeah. And once again, if you think about the work environment for a lot of game studios, once again, it's not replete with split with space. And we wanted to make it, you know, sort of very, very, you know, sort of conscious of not having a footprint much larger than what you would normally have at your desk.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about the Vive and all the stuff they were showing last week, uh, but, or the week before, Uh, but you know, they're talking about having a 15 by 15 room with these sensors around it. And I don't even know, I know now I need to buy a house with an extra room in it before I can uh, experience that. I mean, so I, I, yeah.
1: The the Vive demo was neat in that, yes, that it was in a room larger than what I have spatially, but it is designed to adapt to whatever space that you're in i imagine there has to be some minimum but mm-hmm. you know i i, I, I my, my first re- reaction was the same as yours which is okay that's a lot of space you're you're, you're once again you're assuming that everyone's a suburbanite <laughs> <Right>. yeah <laughs> you know? but it yeah. seems to be a little bit modular my only question i love that vibe demo i mean i was just absolutely blown away but, you know, it was 30 minutes. It was five different short demos. I don't know how long I do want to stand up for, especially if it's like, mm-hmm. say, some form of a movie or something that's closer to a traditional game that, you know, I don't know. I'm all old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Standing is a, is a decision that requires effort. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, I, you know, I, I was we were talking about it in previous episodes and and. My take on it is I feel like most game developers are gonna have moments where you're standing and moments where you're sitting, right? So it'll be, I'm hoping what it'll be is that it has the capability of track, tracking you as you're standing and walking around. So it offers moments where I get up and I do something and then I can sit back down and enjoy more of the game. Uh, I think yeah. that's interesting, so.
1: I, 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 I mean, that, that, that's kind of the fun of this whole uncharted territory of virtual reality is that a lot of the rules that we apply to existing games just go out the window. Right. But you really have yeah. to rethink how you're going to look at design and everything like that, and I think it probably is alternately terrifying and exhilarating for a lot of people who are working in that space yeah
0: i I think that is what is so thrilling to me as somebody who's you know whose lifetime is the lifetime of video games in general is seeing this new thing that is wholly original, and when people are talking about well how are we going to make first-person shooters on it, it's like, well, yeah, I do want to see that, but I'm much more excited about this genre that has never existed before, that couldn't have existed without this technology, and, and what's that going to look like? What's that going to feel like?
1: And I just don't think that we necessarily, I mean, I, I think the first-person shooter is fine the way that it is, and I don't know if VR actually enhances that. I, I think it was playing something, it, it, it either was God of War or something like God of War, and you know, the way that we hit the buttons that, and, and seeing it represented up on the screen, that's kind of the trick of immersion in traditional games because there is something, when you feel that you're controlling something in a virtual space be it the television, that, that digital space you need to have that constant sense of input and reaction to maintain that illusion. When you go to mm-hmm. VR, that's all done passively. Like you don't have to do anything because the damn thing's on you and you're already in an right. environment you're not in, and so a lot of that sense of the essential quality of 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 interactivity, I think, isn't it, it isn't required. I think for people that haven't tried VR, I understand where they're thinking, but I think once you put it on, you just I'm like I, games I play that have a lot of action. I'm like I think you could take that action out because I've never been here before. Just exploring is so novel and so engrossing that I could just do that for hours on end. That sounds so awesome. So this is the, the Roto
0: Chair you were talking about, and it's on Kickstarter now, right? What, what's How can people find that on Kickstarter to, to um, learn more?
1: Honestly, the, the, the way I find it is Roto, R-O-T-O, Kickstarter, boom, you see the page. Um, we obviously really uh, – we, we have a fairly modest goal of 85,000 pounds, and it's for the purpose of production tooling. I've just learned about this. Uh, it's more or less uh, – really we just need to kickstart one of the more significant capital expenditures which is to get uh, more or less it's the steel molds for the very unique parts that need to mm. be made to put the roto together um, And you know, we've already gone through a lot of the R&D and the prototyping that we just need a little bit of help to just get us over that one financial hump so this thing can go into production um, so obviously if anyone's listening out there and found that fascinating I would love it <laughs> if Uh, people could take an interest and see what they are capable of donating.
0: Yeah. You guys should check it out. It's certainly at the very least watch the video because it's uh, it's remarkable and it, it's such a cool, it's, it's so amazing to me that such a small bit of movement can have such a big effect on immersion. It it looks really cool. Um, All right. So let's uh, let's jump into uh, the regular part of the show. That's uh, always how we start is story of the week. So let's do that now. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. King. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week. Adam, you get first pick. What? Do you, there's some really, really interesting stories. We got South by Southwest going on uh, this week. We've got some uh, interesting stuff going on. So, what is what is your pick for story of the week?
1: I think, and it should probably come as no surprise to anyone why I would pick this, uh, but uh, Palmer Luckey, obviously, of Oculus, was at South by Southwest on a panel about Oculus, and uh, he indicated, he did not say outright, that the 2015 consumer release of the Oculus proper, not the Samsung Gear VR, uh, Mm -hmm. may not actually happen. Um, This was not, I would say, the most shocking revelation, uh, but I think, once again, because of my interest in VR right now, um, it definitely is kind of showing that we're all in some uncertain landscape right now about when this happens and how this should happen and when is the right time to launch. You know, there's obviously, you know, a, a business reason to come out at a certain time, but you want to make sure that the product is exactly as you want it when you introduce such a brand new media to a consumer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I've been banging the drum for VR for months now. I, I cannot be more excited about it. I, I, you know, basically do a VR story every week and this is big. I, I'm curious what you think, because I really believe that the first of these VR devices that gets to market is going to have a big advantage because people are so excited about the tech. And it seems if this, uh, sort of hint is to be believed, it seems like Vive will be the first to market. Do you think that that puts it in a power position?
1: I, I, I think it does. I think it's showing at GDC and the level of excitement that it generated uh, was, was just so strong that it definitely has the momentum behind it. Um, having said that, I, I don't, whether or not Viv is really going to make it out in 2015 is, 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 is my question. I think that there is mm. a, a reasonable goal that it should be out by then. Um, I want to see it out by then, but at the same time, I think it would be in production right now. If it yeah. was, if, if if that was the target date, um, I'm slowly learning a lot about sort of the world of manufacturing. Um, I, I think everyone that kind of has the goal. But once again, it, it's got to launch with enough software to justify it. You can't do a Wii on this one and just have kind yeah. of Wii Sports and expect that that's going to ha- ha- how people are going to play with it going forward. Um, a- additionally, it's got to work. It's got to work well. I don't think that people are going to be as patient for like maybe three or four firmware updates down the line before it truly reaches the potential that it was selling itself at. So, I, I mean, it's, this, this isn't the same as a console where everyone kind of understands the constraints of it. This, once right. again, is, is very uncharted. The territory. So I, I think maybe the mistake is saying too much about dates to begin with. Everyone has the mm-hmm. goal, but obviously consumers who are excited are going to kind of give that a little bit more veracity than maybe should have been conveyed by, by Oculus, by Valve, and by anyone else who's, who's working on a headset.
0: Yeah. And, and if they're talking about getting the development kit out in spring and then launching holiday, that's a very small window to get, that's a as very you're saying, these window. completely new experiences. Right. And you it's so important that the first time somebody puts on one of these things, they get it. You know, um, yeah. w- are you concerned at all about uh, the competition between so many of these different VR, AR devices that it'll sort of cannibalize itself in any in any way?
1: I, 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 that, that does give me pause and I think it's not so much Oculus versus valve. I think those two can easily coexist in the same space. It's, um, and I don't have any names for this, but it's like other people who are not putting a quality product out there. If we start mm-hmm. to saturate it and you start to create distrust or discomfort on the part of the consumer, they can just kind of turn tail. Cause once again, no one's saying we need VR. <laughs> we just want right. VR. And, right. you know, so, th- I mean, it, it, a, a case has to be made, and if there's a lot of confusion and a lot of uncertainty because there's such a wide variance in quality, I think that can turn off a mass market base, which is going to need to happen for this thing to survive. But additionally, for developers, I mean, I, I, I don't know what how, how severe the differences are in programming for one device versus the other. But I imagine it's enough that it can change what what, what their costs are. And so then they have to decide, okay, am I going to go only with one because I can keep costs down on programming for one platform or am I going to spend more? I mean, there's a lot of like people just having to look into a crystal ball and seeing what's happening in the future. And I think that's why maybe a lot of players who are interested are going to hold back and just try to see how this whole thing shakes out. I think there yeah. could be some bumps in the beginning where... You know, people are going to wait for that really big, you know, even with the console, but it's only about two years in, you see that awesome, awesome application that just says, this is a brand new piece of tech, whereas everything else is kind of doing the same thing you're accustomed to. And people are waiting for the install base, but before they really throw the money at a more ambitious project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to have so much to do with how these things are priced and uh, how they're rolled out. And if there's going to be a big piece of must play, you know, killer app kind of thing. Um, I'm already sold. The first thing that comes to market, I'm putting my money into. But but that's because (laughs) I have the ability to put it on like you and I have put these things on and we're sold. And I think that's the challenge is how to you know, you look so dorky wearing one.
1: um, But when you put it on, you get it. You instantly get it. Yeah. It's, you know, I think, and I, was, I was definitely thinking about this when I was trying out um, the, the V with Valve, because Valve, because of Steam and everything, they don't have as much of, you know, a, a, a presence in, you know, the, the retail space. They're all digital. Um, right. To say nothing of the fact that, you know, if you want the 15 by 15 space, uh, there's about two GameStops I can think of in the U.S. that can accommodate that kind of space. right. right. Uh, I think they'll have to do like Sony did with the Vita, and I think maybe even with the PlayStation 4, and just buy some retail space. Because the only way you can get people to buy this is they've got to try it. And there's got to be sort of yeah. – it, it's an interesting way of, of of having to reconsider how you sell something. They're going to need showrooms.
0: Christian is now joining us, and uh, Adam and I have been uh, talking about VR. We have this news this week of, uh, of possibly uh, hinting that the Oculus will be not coming out 2015. Uh, and so we've been talking about the challenges of, of marketing VR to the mainstream and, and of uh, potential um, uh, advantages of being the first to market. Um, as you know, we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. But Adam had some really interesting points about, uh, you know, just selling it to a, an audience, having someone come into a store and just having the room to put things on and, and, and be inside the VR to, uh, to get eyes on with these new technologies. Uh, Adam, was, was Yeah, I mean, was I, there I think, more? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Christian.
2: I was going to say, I mean, I think the best way is just you have profits of VR. And to some extent, Jeff, you've won, even though it's not out yet, but it's the, you own it, you buy it, you tell your friend, you show your parents. I have video of my wife putting Oculus on for the first time, and she's shown that to her parents. And I don't know if they'll buy it, but I think I, and I heard what Adam was saying, uh, the tail end of it. And I think you know, like a, a Magnolia store and a Best Buy or like a dedicated space for it mm-hmm. when it hurt. But I don't know how welcoming that is to Mr. and Mrs. Joe Target, you know, walking into a store and being like, oh, what's this unique experience? I should go over here and try it on. They're thinking, no, I'm going to go get diapers, um, <laughs> chips, and this Amiibo, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: think
2: the one thing
1: is, I think in the first two years, I can't imagine that that end of the mass market is even gonna be interested in VR, you know, they might, they'll they'll probably discover it from another member of their family, most likely the younger member of the family. But, you know, as Jeff was saying, there's that funny thing that happens when you try it out. It's like, this is so cool. It starts to feel essential, even though, you know, it it really isn't. And the way to convert maybe younger people with more disposable income is still gonna be getting that headset on their heads. But you're right, as long as you can get that alpha consumer, who has a fair amount of friends who come over to his house to try it. That's probably going to be the most important thing to kind of build this market and hopefully fast.
0: Awesome. Uh, Christian, I know that you've been uh, distracted this morning with, uh, with other commitments, but uh, do you have a story of the week?
2: Not off the top of my head. I, I have literally, I would took me an hour and a half to get here. I know someone, Oh, uh, I I'll supply
0: one, one for you if you want.
2: Well, no, I have one. I have. We haven't talked oh, okay. about it, and we mentioned this a little bit last night when we were hanging out. And it's just kind of the broader point is if I don't talk about a game or I don't play it, it doesn't mean I hate it. It just means that I buy ninety nine point nine 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 percent of my games, and I have limited time. So my personal story of the week is I bet Hell Divers is great. I've heard. <laughs> uh, I've heard City Skylines is amazing. And people should check it out. I a uh, friend of the show and Urban Planner, uh, actual pro, is playing it and loves it. And it's filling that SimCity void for a lot of people. So I, from time to time on this show, I'm going to try to highlight games that I don't haven't had time to play. But maybe if people in the chat or people want to tweet at us their experiences. Because there are so many games. When I, I was telling yeah. you this last night when I was trying to find Ori on Xbox One. I couldn't find it on its global launch day, but there was this game, the top paid game in the Microsoft Xbox One store, and it was Army uh, Zombie War Trilogy or something made by the Sniper Elite guys, and I had no idea it was out. It has thousands of five-star reviews on Xbox Marketplace. Metacritic, I think, has it at like a 60 or 70, but it's like we continue to be in the golden age of gaming. And so I hear Helldivers is great. I don't know, Jeff, have you played it? Or Adam, have you played it? Or, or no. uh, Cities Skylines?
1: Um, no. I don't I, know. I have seen so many people talking about Helldivers, I could be confused as to think I have played it.
2: It's definitely
1: it's definitely hitting a nerve with a lot of people, but you know, Christian, I have to agree with you. I mean, I I only have so much limited time that you know, uh, you know, because I'm doing this podcast and a couple more later this week. I really made an effort yesterday after I didn't die um, to you know go and try to just like consume a little bit of a bunch of different games because I tend to you know I'm still of that mindset, especially now because I'm not covering the industry. You know that if, if there's a game I'm playing, I like to play from beginning to end at the exclusion of any other game out there and it gets a little bit terrifying when i think of the ones i haven't played while i'm playing a a, a particular title
0: well the story that i thought you might bring up christian as your story of the week uh, is about a, a one fewer game that you'll have to worry about this year and that is uncharted 4 it has been delayed to spring of 2016 uh i think We can all agree that having a game get delayed instead of come out prematurely is a good thing, especially when we saw last holiday season a bunch of games came out that really weren't ready for prime time yet. Um, And the idea of having this high-profile game uh, in a series we all like uh, be done and be ready to go uh, before it's released, I think we can all applaud that. My question about this news, though, is... um, Adam, do you think this leaves a giant hole in the holiday schedule for Sony? And, and do you think this isn't ultimately a, a bad thing for that
1: platform going forward? You know, I've been going back and forth on this one. Um, I think on one level, for the game itself, for the sales of the game itself, I think it's better to put it into spring of 2016. I think uh, it's it, very popular and very loved. But, you know, is it on the level of kind of those reliable hits, the Call of Duties? Uh, uh, you know, the Assassin's Creed's even, I would even say uh halo or something like that, that, you know, sometimes if you don't have all that competition that, that happens at the end of the year, you're offering a better opportunity for discovery for those that may not have had a PlayStation three and right. now decide to get on board with Sony with, with the, with the PlayStation four. The flip side, as you pointed out is Sony, which did such a great job with the PlayStation three, with unique titles to help give the console a sense of identity. And I think in the long run, a stronger sense of identity than Microsoft had with the Xbox 360. Um, we're not seeing a lot of that, you know, the the, the order back when I thought it was gonna be a more impressive game, uh, which was obviously pushed into the spring of this year. Um, and that really kind of, you know, at least for what we know that Sony has that leaves it pretty wide open, especially without the marquee game at the end of the year. Having said that, given the success of the PlayStation 4, I don't know if it becomes as essential. I think Sony's done such a good job of making it look like the de facto console, at least internationally. I mean, Microsoft has caught up here in the United States that, if anything, this probably might have an impact on PlayStation sales in the United States, especially with you know Halo Five coming out, but I think mm-hmm. on a more global level um, it 's going to have a, f- a far smaller impact, and it might actually have a beneficial impact to the uncharted
2: game in particular
0: what's your take christian
2: i 'd always rather see a game come out and be good than come out and meet a deadline sure. um, and so and, and for that i 'm in favor of what I think is the I don't know if it's wagging my finger at Naughty Dog or at Sony or whoever it is. It's this idea of putting your your flag down in the moon and saying this is our release day. Everybody else clear out. This is uncharted or, you know, Call of Duty day, 11/11 or, you know, whatever it is. And then more and more when games can't meet these deadlines, I feel like the I, the, the the truth is now is Halo 5 will be out on June 6, 2015. Asterix six to 12 months after June 6th, 2015, or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And I, 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 wish that we didn't live in the world where pre-orders and putting that, that flag down were so important. Cause I would rather, I would rather a game come out, uh, be announced and be shown. And then when it's ready and then come out instead of this yeah. Arkham city or Arkham Knight uncharted four. Uh, every publisher is guilty of it. So that's what frustrates me.
0: But it's, you know, I think it's very frustrating from a consumer's perspective. Uh, uh, Blizzard runs into this a lot and, uh, Valve back when they released games <laughs> ran into this a lot of the, when it, it we're announcing a game and it'll come out when it's ready. People hate when it's ready. They don't, it does, it, it, they're living in this weird nebulous world of, I don't understand when it's ready, when will it be ready? Um, and you know, I think it's to their credit a little bit that they made this announcement in March, you know, here we are in March and they're saying it's not coming out this holiday. I think that's tons of time to, you know, it's not like it's a last minute kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, overall, I think uh, I agree with Adam that it, it could be a, end up being a very positive thing for the game, uh, both from a quality standpoint and from a sales standpoint. It's just, I think now there's this big onus on E3 to have some sort of PlayStation 4 game to rally around for holiday this year.
1: You know. I mean, I don't know if No Man's Sky can be that game or will be that game. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not yeah. 100% where that is in its in its realm of development. I think it won't sell on the level of even what an Uncharted could, but it becomes one of those great defining games, like the right. ambition and the willingness of Sony to invest in these kind of wild projects. Um, if I were them, that's kind of where I would put quite a bit of my attention. But you know, t- to your point, Jeff, I think the other issue is we've got to narrow this window from announcement to when the game comes out.
0: Yeah, that's you
1: know, true, I, too. I know they we, we know about Uncharted 4, A, because it's obvious. And I don't think there's any harm in saying, hey, Uncharted 4 is going to come out on the PlayStation. And I think they needed right. to say that to reassure consumers when they're trying to get people to buy the PS4 at launch. But to then do trailers and give the sense that there's something imminent and it just gets delayed and delayed and delayed, why not just tighten that window so that when they start talking to the press, when they start yeah. getting the community all excited, they have a very clear idea of what their game is going to be. Rather than yeah. what they hope their game is going to be, and then they realize they want to change it into something else, and you have all of these kind of sort of messaging tie-ups and these frustrations, even though maybe they shouldn't. I mean, I, I think when a developer changes something in a game, it's for the better. But if you've already gotten people excited about something that's not going to be in it, everyone thinks that somehow it's it's secondary or that there's a flaw that's that's somewhere in the game. I just think you know games are weird to make. They're not like movies where you can declare that you know Star Wars is going to be out two years from now. It's we're we're, mm-hmm. we're still in uncharted. Oh God, there's the pun territory. <laughs> <laughs> when, with, with the idea of how you develop games. you know We're about 25 years into the modern games era. Think about where movies were 25 years in. People were still trying to yeah. understand the language of cinema, and I don't think mm-hmm. they were saying that get ready to see Charlie Chaplin two years from now.
0: <laughs> oh, man, I could not agree more with I'm you, gonna... man. I think, I think that is uh, makes such great points, and it's even worse than you said because, what, for three months now, longer, you could pre-order Uncharted 4 at GameStop. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So they'll, they'll take your money for a thing. That's not even a thing. I I think that's even the worst part, but go ahead, Christian.
2: Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to call you guys right back. I've upgraded my mic situation and hopefully my connection. I have a traveling podcast studio with me, so I will be back momentarily. I love you guys. We we anticipate
0: hearing, hearing weird noises from you. Um, that actually is a great, Point at which to uh, thank our sponsor. We are sponsored by lynda.com. That's L Y N D A. And uh, lynda.com is a really awesome thing. If you like learning like I do, this is way better than just cruising YouTube for uh, instructional videos. These are professionally designed, professionally created, always up to date instructional videos made by experts who know what they're doing. Over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, business, and software training. You can learn Excel, WordPress, Photoshop. Even better than that, if you're interested in video game design it, at any level, programming on any level, Lynda.com has courses for you. They've got Unity training. They've got this cool code clinic where you uh, do, they have challenges that they throw out to the community, and it doesn't matter what programming language you use. A lot of people are using different programming languages, and they all attack the problem, and then people share their results, and so you can see different approaches to the same problem. If you've got kids that you want to introduce to uh, programming, we, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, we actually have a really cool story about that coming up in, in shortly about kids getting into programming and uh, lynda.com has a cool foundations of programming course for kids targeted right at kids to get them into programming. This is a really cool way to expand your horizons, learn something new and do it inexpensively. If you go to lynda.com, that's L Y N D A.com slash D L C. We're going to hook you up with a free 10 day trial. That means you have complete carte blanche, of the entire website you can check out any of the co- to- courses or topics that they have for 10 days learn all all the stuff you can learn in 10 days get hooked and then sign up we'll give you a free 10 day trial lynda.com slash DLC go check it out man it, this is really a cool service and it's something I'm I'm proud to be talking about on this show because um, learning is easy in the age of internet and lynda.com is proving why Lynda.com slash dlc okay um my story of the week is uh something that all week long all of the people that i've run into all of my uh sort of nerdy uh, internet podcasty type associates that i've bumped into or talked to on the phone or whatever everybody's talking about the same thing It it, it keeps coming up in conversations. Upsilon circuit is this game that was talked about at uh, PAX East. It's the new game from robot loves kitty, which is this really cool husband and wife development team. But this is a really interesting concept. So the idea, if you haven't heard about it yet, Upsilon circuit is a game. It's an online game, uh, with only one server. And so only, only eight people can play at once. And the game only runs for about two or three hours per day. So in the entire world, only eight people are playing at a time, but everybody else can tune in and watch those eight people playing. So it's sort of this game show feel even crazier. Once you play, you have one chance. If you die in the game, that's it. You never get to play the game again. You only have one shot at it. And when someone dies, someone from the audience that's been watching gets put in and gets their shot. And the way they choose the person from the audience that's going to be selected is that as people are playing and you are watching, they are earning experience points, but not for themselves. They're, they're earning experience points for the audience. And the audience can spend those experience points to make their character and, and customize their character. So. The game then analyzes people who've been watching and putting a lot of effort into making their character, picks one of them that they think is ready to join the game, joins in, and you get that one shot. You have one shot to do it. Totally wild, totally unique, totally interesting. And I'm curious what your take
1: on this, (laughs) Adam. Um, I I mean, it is absolutely genius. I mean, I, I think the part that I love about it is someone really has been paying attention to what's been happening with games in the past couple of years, um, mainly <laughs> sort of Twitch in the sense of, of spectating. And I've even slowly started to realize, especially with stuff that's cooperative or maybe com- competitive with multiplayer, that there's ways to appreciate the game being played without it being in kind of a tournament setting, that there, there, mm-hmm. there is just something, you know, very odd about watching people, you know, either play really well or sometimes play play really poorly and I think this capitalizes on it and then has this beautiful element where the audience has such a clear stake and what's happening up on the screen. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I have no idea if this is going to be fun. I have no idea if this is going to be interesting to watch. But I know for certain I want to see this happen because these are the type of experiments that need to be happening more and more in video games, not necessarily to see if they succeed, but so that we can learn from it and we can see how do we sort of go into this these these, these new and fascinating areas that only games can actually capitalize on
0: yeah i mean it's certainly the next logical extension of twitch plays pokemon or something like that right or even if something from our youth you know it's running man it's really running man it's the real version (laughs) (laughs) which which is a shame but yes Ah, (laughs) it's a lot like running man (laughs) Uh, christian have you heard about epsilon circuit it's always
2: well i mean how is it a bad thing i think i agree with what adam said like it seems so confusing (laughs) on some level but like it's awesome and there needs to be more things like it and someday a killer app will come out of this right it will be the very first pre pong video game and it's like oh yeah now look what we have right?
0: this might be and it and this might be I love that stuff
2: like this yeah, yeah this might great. be that
0: that proof of concept and you know i listened to an interview uh with uh, the the guy from robot loves kitty and i should have his name here but i don't um Anyway, he was saying that he thinks this could turn into a genre. This is this is the first of a, a whole type of game that it's it's as much about spectating as it is about playing it. And I think I think that's where certainly a large segment of gaming is going. And why not integrate that
1: right into the structure of the game? That's really cool. I, um, I remember when Shenmue, or maybe Shenmue Two, was coming out. You know, some interview with Yu Suzuki. He had mentioned that he had toyed with the idea at one point of having a game where if you died, like the game was done, you would have to go back to the store and get another copy of it, <laughs> just to create that sense of, of tension and where like player decision making really has to be thoughtful and you know obviously that might be the like the the worst business decision ever but this sounds like the best answer to start to really explore that notion of you know sort of virtual mortality where you know there there really is a sense of cost
2: i mean what if that game was five dollars you know what if that game was the price of a starbucks coffee yeah then all of a sudden it's not ridiculous to assume that it's a consumable
0: well, I mean, I put $0.25 cents in the arcade machine, and once I die, I can't play again until I put $0.25 cents in again. So in a lot of ways, it's back to our our roots, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, here's another story. I referenced this a little bit uh, when we were talking about lynda.com. I think this is so cool. Uh, news this week that the BBC is starting this big initiative to get kids into programming, and it's two-pronged. One of them is that they are going to give a million of these little micro bits computers, which is kind of like a Raspberry Pi. They're going to donate a million of them to 11-year-old kids in grade school to get them experimenting and tinkering and learning how to program stuff. And the second one that's sort of more in our wheelhouse is that they are producing a 90-minute Drama. It's interesting. They're not calling it a documentary. They're calling it a drama. Uh, that is all about the Hauser brothers and the creation of Grand Theft Auto. Um, fascinating. I'm so curious why this is going to be a drama and not a documentary. Adam, what's your take?
1: Well, um, as, as someone who actually has over the years developed uh, both a fondness and a friendship with people over at Rockstar, um, they're just kind of averse to being on camera. So at first, I thought it was a uh. documentary, and I was more shocked than when I found out that it was going to be a drama, um, huh, you know, someone who worked on television for as long as he did, you may notice we have never had an interview with anybody from Rockstar Games, um, right. and it, it is, you know, they, 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 it is, it's just not as they've always said they want their games to speak for themselves, not to put the personalities in front of it. Um, so in, in terms of that, um, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised. What I am terribly surprised is that culturally, that England would suddenly use. Grand Theft Auto as this kind of almost point of national pride, or at least, you know, it is, it is, you know, they they are initially based up in Scotland. So let's at least point out that there are two different countries that are involved there. But, um, well, in essence, two different countries. but you know, culturally, they've you know, there's as much cultural anxiety about things like Grand Theft Auto and violence, and uh, you know, games being only for children, and so this is supposed to be corrupting them. This is a fascinating cultural shift that they look at. You know, the most successful game of all time is something that is connected to you know the the United Kingdom, and as such, should be a point of pride and inspiration for young people to get involved in coding. Um, I think you know, I I lived in London back in the uh, early '90s when John Manger was. Uh, was prime minister and there's a lot of anxiety about like horror movies and stuff like that. And if you had told me this was going to happen, I would have never believed you. It's <laughs> Pretty, pretty
0: wild. Yeah. It's how far the needle has moved. Um, Christian, what's your take?
2: Yeah, I'm curious to know more. I think it's, I, I love seeing our hobby and passion be put out to more people and get young kids interested. But is it, I mean, I don't know, I just wonder, what they, do they use coding to hack into cars, or is it 24-esque where coding is a part of it, slash related to GTA in name only? Um, but it's exciting. I think the it's BBC, about the making of
0: GTA. It's more about, it's like a behind the scenes, it's, you know, it's um, halt and catch fire, right, for, for Grand Theft Auto.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. The BBC puts out quality content, so I'm sure this will be another example of that. The odds are in their favor, I would argue.
0: Are you excited to to watch a the a story a narrative version of of what it's like to create a video game?
2: Did you watch The Jinx on HBO?
1: Not yet, not (laughs) yet.
2: I'll I'll watch. Did you listen to Serial? I will listen to any dumb story if it's told in a compelling way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Uh, Christian. I'm sure you're interested in this bit of news, uh, seeing as how you brought your new 3ds. Uh, excel over last night to show me Uh, the 3ds is the highest selling console of february Uh, that does encompass all versions of the 3ds including the new one but uh, it outsold the uh, ps4 and the xbox one Um, so good news i guess for people uh, and and, and it was evidently supply constrained also so that's uh, good news for nintendo what do you what do you think about this christian
2: yeah it's great it's it's it shows that and i think majora's mask was the number one selling game of the month for NPDs. I mean, the Nintendo fan base is still there, and the desire for quality Nintendo products is is, is still there. I, I think I told you last night, and I think I said it on the show, the new 3DS is the best 3DS Nintendo has made. It's still not a perfect system, but I mean, I bought one. I'm part of that problem. <laughs> I you know I, I don't. It's not a surprise to me. I, it makes sense. It's a it's a really really nice piece of hardware that has now has a very compelling game library behind it
0: yeah uh adam are you a a new 3ds owner
1: no i am not i mean there's a point where i like i might have a problem if if they keep on offering i keep on buying it i just feel there's an unhealthy symbiotic relationship that i'm establishing i'm not doing it and i think the technological changes they made were very wise and very smart but i mean it just to me, it is still endlessly astonishing that they can sell the same thing over and over again. <laughs> they have their challenges on the Wii U, but they can pull this off with 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 the 3DS. It is just it's it's both impressive and on one other level like infuriating if they can have this kind of wise business acumen with a handheld, but they cannot pull it off with the consoles. Um, I, I personally just don't like playing handhelds. Um, it's just not the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, mainly use it as a point of distraction when I'm having to travel on an international flight. Uh, I, I still mm-hmm. wish I could just play Majora's mask on my television with, you know, some kind of souped up graphics, but, um, I, I, I gotta tip my hat to them. Um, I think yeah. it is and, and, and not to be a spoil sport, but it is worth considering February was a pretty weak month. And so, you know, I think it'll be very interesting to see how the new 3DS does in the next couple of months when we're starting to see sort of stronger cases to be made in the console space uh, in, in, in terms of games and reasons to go out and buy yourself a brand new console. But um, it's obviously good news for a company that could really, really use some good news.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Adam's? Tessler is now dead to me. Jeff, what do you think about the news?
1: <laughs> well, it's
0: better than being dead to everybody, which he was
2: earlier. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, no, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I think Adam actually makes really, really good points. I mean, it's true. Uh, February is, you know, is not exactly a lot, lot of competition there. But um, uh, yeah, I also agree in, in a world where we keep hearing that kids only want to play with their, you know, smart devices, smartphones. Uh, they're still selling a lot of these things and that's great. I'm, I'm, I want one. I covet it. I want to have it. Uh, if they give me
1: I don't think it's kids that are getting it. I mean, I, okay. Look, if you're seven years old and you already have a 3ds, how are you making that case to (laughs) <laughs> mom and dad that you're supposed to get something that has the exact same words in it except you in front of it these have got to be adults that have complete agency over their bank account that are going out and buying it at the, in these remarkable numbers it's, yeah. I, mean, it's I, I i i it's it's so impressive no I are absolutely a very right compelling i think 30 something my
2: parents <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh
0: um, all right. Well, that sort of does it for the uh, the news of the week. And I know we got some fun stuff to talk about uh, with what we've been playing. So let's get right now to the playlist. Ooh, you
1: this? Could tell us. Ooh, you this? Could tell us on the playlist.
0: Playlist is the part of the show where we talk about what is on our playlist, what we have been playing. Um, Adam, you said you've been playing a bunch of stuff recently, dipping your fingers and toes and stuff into uh, – into all these cool games that are hitting right now. What, um, what do you want to talk about first?
1: Well, I, I might as well talk about the games that I have been playing sort of exclusively up until just very recently. And I'm a guy who still hasn't finished Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, I, I started it when it came out, and then other games came out, and I started to play a little bit of those. And then I would say about like mid-December, I like, just kind of burnt out. Like you know, my <laughs> wife didn't have to yeah. work as much, and so we started to watch a lot of movies. And then I thought about going back to Dragon Age. I'm like, I don't remember anything, or like yeah. you know, if I wanted to be consistent in my relationships with the other characters, so I just had to restart the whole thing. I I think I found a really of games like that. Yeah, I mean, that I mean, is it's, a crazy. Oh, that's a crazy yeah. decision to make. That's like that's crazy. Well, you know, there, there are things I I love the game, and there are things that still frustrate me about it. Um, is is that it? I could have used a little bit more guidance into how to sort of plan my time. Um, I I think Patrick Klebek actually made a case about this in Kotaku. I quite like Dragon Age, but you know, I am an adult and I have to do all these other things that if I sit down for the two (laughs) or three hours, you know, I keep, I'm going to areas where I'm way overpowered even though they're available on my map or I right. didn't start to understand the c- certain mechanics after a while. And I, want, I want to go back and see if I can play this the way the game is intended to be played. And I'm still incredibly enjoying it. I still don't understand why it has as much content as it does and it's not level balanced to all of that because right. if you try to do a completist run, you're going to OP yourself Quite significantly and quite quickly. Um, yeah. Having said that, I just still really love it, and I love the characters and I love the interactions. But um, because
0: I was saying that I, I was saying that it should have been called uh, Dragon Age Inquisition colon Leave the Hinterlands.
1: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> that really is still one of the strangest aspects of it that how they didn't anticipate that that's how the player would approach it I mean I I know how my style of play is and especially with games that big that feel so unwieldy you want to kind of carve off sections of it so you can try to feel like it's more under your control so like, yeah. I would start to say like okay you know what I'm gonna see if I can clear out everything in the hinterlands I think there's a, that's how a lot of people think about it then I want to move on right. and I've earned my right to progress in the game yet the game was clearly designed for you not to do that But it doesn't also give you the necessary sense of comfort that you should go explore. And I think, you know, because there's that one other area that opens up quite early that, you know, if you're level five, you can certainly go there. But everything is usually level 10 or higher that that also reinforces a sense that there might be too much danger and use the player need to be more cautious and stay in your comfortable zone that is called the hinterlands.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, we're conditioned as gamers to to you know if i leave this i might not ever be able to come back here and i have all these open quests so i'll just i should probably just finish these out and then you just keep getting more and more and more and more and more and i was like this is crazy because i don't want to leave but you know i always tell people leave the hinterlands it gets so much more interesting you can always come back but yeah it's a game it's a game with many wonderful qualities but some strange decisions too
1: yeah, cool. I mean, I, I think it's it's almost like it's a modern love letter to a style of RPG that we loved it back then because we didn't know any better. And it was the You're RPG right. that kind of almost hated the player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, well,
0: it, 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 it's those, it, those I games like the, that were... They, they came out of the tradition of pen and paper, right, where we're not going to help you. You know, you, there's a DM sitting right here. And he's not he's 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 kind of on your side, but he's kind of not on your side. You yeah. know, that's that's how those <laughs> games were designed.
1: <laughs> so um, I, I I know, Jeff, you were playing Ori in the Blind Forest. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to you when, when we talk about it. But I also wanted to try out Hotline Miami, too. Mm -hmm. um and see how long i could go before i wanted to tear the hair out of my head and i got about four (laughs) levels in before i was like i'm a nervous wreck i gotta stop
0: (laughs) yeah i still did you enjoy those four levels
1: I, i i i i i do i've always i mean i find the game so bizarre and fascinating and i honestly don't even know if i'm a good person for playing it (laughs) <laughs> but what that what, what happens in those instances of gameplay and the tension and just having to make those decisions and really kind of learn the style that's gonna get you through these 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 harrowing levels. Um I mean it, it, it hits a funny spot in me that you know, I I think because that that's the kind of challenge I remember from kind of from the old NES in the arcade days, but it seems more like ratchet it up and uh it is i don't know it it, it 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 definitely it hits me right and then i question myself for liking it <laughs> <laughs> what do you how do you compare it with the first one um you know the first one i played what was that two years ago or was that one year ago i think it's two but i could be wrong i mean i think it was two i only have vague memories because that's when I was still back at Rev 3 and I felt like I had to play anything and everything across my desk so mm-hmm. I I remember not taking to it as well not because there's anything wrong with the game but at that point I needed games to be cooperative with me so I could move on to the next game and <laughs> that game is anything right. but like oh yeah yeah we're going to hold your hand we're going to teach you <laughs> um, I, I think I'm appreciating Hotline Miami 2 less because of design elements that are in Hotline Miami Miami 2 but just my life is in a place that's more accommodating for a game like that
0: yeah. Uh, you've also uh, been playing Homeworld Remastered?
1: Yeah. Oh my God, it's so hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that game as being hard back
1: in the day, but yeah, I haven't, re- it's, it's, I haven't returned. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, I've, I finally went and, you know, kind of built up my rig so I could handle 4K. And I knew mm, that uh, wow. the Gearbox and the teams that worked on this, you know, really wanted to see if they could pull it off for 4K optimization. And it's just beautiful. Except wow. I'm getting my... But handed to me every month. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one of those where I think I just need to clear a week out where I ha- have no work and just reteach myself how to play it. I think that you have your memories of games from long past, but yeah. they really are just memories, and you don't kind of carry with it the, the the practical thinking that you know you had to acquire when you were playing it way back when.
0: Oh, that is so true. That is so true. I mean, that is, that is really the experience of playing any of the, like virtual console games and like, Oh yeah, I loved this game. And then you play it for five minutes and I'm like, wait, what? I remember loving this game. What else, what happened to me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the game hasn't changed, but I have, uh, yeah. Um, Christian, you actually are the one that has played a lot more Ori in the blind forest than even I have. So, uh, and I know you are in love with it, right?
2: Oh, a guy just hit a car. It's so good. Um, it's difficult in all the right ways, and beautiful in all the right ways. It's Metroid meets not quite as difficult, difficult me platforming, but still difficult. Um, I don't quite know how to correctly sing games praises. Jeff, you were thinking it was too difficult, and you have yet to get to where it gets difficult. So maybe that is a. <laughs> An aversion, but I mean, if you like like Mega Man, Shovel Knight, Meat Boy, this game isn't as hard as Meat Boy. But if you enjoy that type of precision platforming, I think you're going to love, um, love Ori. And then the soundtrack, the the ambient noise, the animation, the the backgrounds are just gorgeous. The story that it's telling is compelling so far. And then the upgrade paths are very rewarding it's, it's awesome i just wish and i've tweeted this out and other people i think i'm not alone i think it has some problems running on the xbox one and i think my xbox one is a lemon it it doesn't boot like my, my problems with the game have been the console i'm playing it on unfortunately and not the game
0: oh i've definitely had a lot of issues on xbox one as well um i regret not having gotten it on the pc instead um i mean the very first time i turned it on it just crashed completely i mean i didn't do anything i went to the start screen and it went
1: and
0: it was like hard hard reboot um and i've had subsequent problems as well every time i switch to a different app in xbox uh you know the environment of xbox one i can't go back to the game it's all it's broken i have to you know completely power cycle which is very annoying and has led to me playing less of it than i would have liked um You're right. It is, it is an extraordinary game. It just, I mean, everybody's talking about the visuals, but you have to, when you talk about it, it is so beautiful and so well animated and just has such a heart. The, the way the characters move is so evocative. And so you, you feel something for them. And that is all too rare in video games. I think, um, it's, it feels like Metroid meets n plus meets like this wonderful uh don bluth film or something you know it's a it's yeah. a yeah it's a beautiful piece of animation but yeah it's got the n plus level of platforming difficulty and um that but, means the that i, I would a say testament... is...
1: go ahead adam oh it's just the way Ori jumps is perfect for me
0: yeah yeah i've seen yeah. a
1: lot of platformers where they kind of play with the parabola and it becomes this kind of illogical uh, sort of jump that they do that you have to kind of learn for the game but from the get go or was doing exactly what i felt Ori was going to do based upon its size and the speed that he or she can can run through the game and it's just it has to be one of the most satisfying jumps i've played in a platformer in a very very long time
0: yeah and when she lands, she sticks to a spot, which yes, I, I find exactly. very satisfying as well.
1: Yes. No <laughs> skidding. Let's let's stop the skid,
0: kids. No more yeah, skidding. <laughs> <exactly>. Stop the <laughs> skid, kids. Uh, Christian, uh, your audio is a little rough, but but what were you saying?
2: Oh, I'm just going to just say it. A testament to the Xbox One controller. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, is. It's much better than the 360. Yes. There's no question about that.
0: Uh, but the game is, uh, is, is really fun. I am finding it to be a game that is, uh, so challenging that I'll tend to want to play it in short spurts rather than for long sessions. Cause I will be like, okay, I'm not getting this part. I need to stop and I need to go away from it. And then my Xbox one won't let me go back to the game without crashing. And so I've played a heck of a lot less of it than I want, but they promise a patch is coming for that specific issue. Um, Adam, what's your what's your take on on the game as a whole?
1: Um, I, I, I I I'm with you. The 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 anim- animations are just sumptuous. I think they're very very expressive. The only thing I don't care for is the voiceover narration. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, I, I you know, it's, it's not just in games. I've just been noticing this a lot that. when we want to tell things that are either sort of mythological in nature or more like a fable, we have to like kind of shift our vernacular to what we think is representative of that. And it can come out, it can be very hard to kind of decipher. And I think the the one thing like the, the, the world they've created with the blind forest and the sense of energy and all these kind of arbitrary and whimsical names, and because that does at some point actually correspond to things you're collecting, you know, for, uh, that are essential to the game, I can kind of lose track of what means what, yeah, you know, because they feel so kind of arbitrary. And I think because the animations are so strong, had the game gone closer to the route of something like Brothers: A Tale Two Sons and just done it mm-hmm. all as pantomime, I think they would have been. That would have doubled down on one of the the game's strongest virtues, which is the quality and the expressiveness of the animations. And I think they actually kind of, at least for me, they mute some of the, the storytelling that comes out of that. Because there's this larger narrative that I'm having a hard time comprehending or even wanting to. Uh, they, 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 they use one phrase, that fateful day. I don't know why. I've always hated that ever since I was a child. <laughs> Whenever I yeah. see that used, I, it, it, it tends to just sort of turn me off. That It's just something we, 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 we lean on as kind of a trope that means something that is old and, 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 and like a fable.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, uh, I think that that first, what, 10 minutes of the game where you just watch, uh, a, an animation and it does the job. It tells the story. It just seeing, yeah, exactly. you know, little Ori come back with a piece of fruit and, and interact in that way. And it's so beautifully done and it's so elegant and simple. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't need to be so overwrought. It didn't need to have that
1: ominous yeah.
0: guy. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: I mean, I, I've seen this too when, when people are trying to do like sort of. I don't think it was in the game. It might have been either in a book or in a movie I was seeing. Like, if it's supposed to be in a fantasy type world, and people seem to forget the way to, the reason Tolkien could get away with what he did, and I still think it's questionable how he got away with it, is the man was uh, like he had a PhD and taught at Oxford on on mythology. <laughs> But right. it's not like you can suddenly just develop the skills to do epic poetry and rewrite Beowulf, and right. it can be – you know, actually what I'm thinking of, I know we'll talk about other things, uh, is, is Matt Fraction, who I usually love. He's trying to redo the Odyssey uh, in sort of a, 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 a feminist science fiction way. It's, it's a comic out of, out of image, and it's like mm-hmm. you can't just suddenly do Homer. Right. And that, you know, Homer got to do Homer probably because he was alive during the time of Homer, because that's when he was alive and that, you know, it, it can get a little bit challenging to just sort of ad- ad- adopt this, this particular writing style. If it isn't something that you're really steeped in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Uh, but there's so much to like about the game, no, the, no. the structures,
1: I, I, the platforming. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I that jump is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, the funny part is uh, as you acquire the powers, yeah, when I was starting the game, I'm like, God, I really just wish I could wall jump. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I bet 15 <laughs> seconds later, I acquired the power to wall jump. I mean, that's yeah. a, I, I, that rarely ever happens where like, the game suddenly created the question in my head and answered it so quickly. I think that really is a testament to just how elegant the design and the pace and the flow of the game is.
0: Yeah. For sure. Well said. That's uh, I had that moment too, <laughs> and then you do you get it right away, and then the game continues to give you crazier and crazier powers that really amp it up. Um, I, I think this is a for me a game of the year candidate. I mean, it's one of those like downloadable games that we're going to be talking about for a long yeah. time.
1: Um, I mean, I would definitely someone fun. who absolutely loved Brothers: of Tale of Two Sons. I mean, me I, I, I'm having a reaction to it. As uh, yeah, this is this this is definitely in that very kind of exclusive league of of, of this type of indie game.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So well, we we lost Christian. His audio was uh, was poor, but we uh, appreciated him being here at least briefly um, to add some fun Skype sounds to the <laughs> to the show this week, as he <laughs> likes to do. Um, but um, I, you know, I've been playing Ori a lot, uh, not as much as I would have liked. But again, I've been playing Heroes of the Storm. And uh, as with last week, uh, we're gonna do a little bit of my Hots Primer. Just Hots Primer, just Hots Primer. Yes, that's right. It's pronounced Primer. That's my little. That's my little uh, bumper that's, music that I created just, for myself. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> except it isn't.
1: I mean, that's. I, I gotta tip my hat to you, Jeff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I got a lot of feedback last week. Some people very negative about talking about Heroes of the Storm so much. Um, but a lot of people really grateful. And so many cool tweets and emails that I got of people who were encouraged to give the game a shot, to try their first MOBA. Uh, because they heard my enthusiasm for it, but also because I gave them some tips about what to do when they started. So I'm going to do a little bit more of that, and I promise it won't last too long. Uh, so last week, I, t- I talked about sort of what your responsibilities are with your team. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about being aware of the other team. So once you've kind of got it under your belt that you need to you know, uh, contribute XP to your team. That means staying in your lane early on and you need to be aware of what your team is doing and be there and be part of the group and contribute to team fights. The next step is knowing and being aware of what the other team is up to. That means understanding the composition of the other team. If they have uh, certain types of heroes on their team, you need to be aware of that. If they have a healer, you need to know that that healer is going to keep characters alive longer if that he- healer is alive. So maybe you want to attack that healer it's very important in in these types of games to focus your damage as a team on one hero so that you don't have a lot of bad guys getting their health down a little bit and surviving you have one bad guy going down fast and now you're they are outnumbered by your team so generally speaking you want to focus on assassins characters like vala and zeratul And Jaina, you want to get those characters down as quickly as you can because they deal a lot of damage. But if there's a healer like Lily or Rhaegar in the other team, you want to kill that healer first because the healer's entire purpose is to keep the other team up. And if they don't have that extra health coming from the healer, they are at a disadvantage. So focus on your... Focus your damage as a team. be communicate with one another, know who you're attacking in a team fight that is key. Also be aware of where the other team is moving on your mini map when you see everyone on those little their little profile pictures heading toward the boss mercenary camp, chances are they're all going to get the boss mercenary camp and you have an opportunity as a team to swoop in and steal that boss you can uh, wait until they have fought the boss and had their health be mar- you know, markedly reduced and then you can swoop in kill off a few of their characters and jump on that that uh, center spot to claim the boss for your own and steal it uh, great strategy to do that with lots of different merc caps so you need to be aware of what your team is doing and be aware of what the other team is doing and you can't be on your own doing your own thing this is again a team game these are team games I just had two very frustrating matches yesterday, uh, where we had character a, a character who was playing Sergeant Hammer just on his own in his own lane. He got all the way to the boss, or all the way to the um, to the uh, their base. That's great, but you know what? We were all getting decimated at the same time. We lost the match because that guy was off doing his own thing. So work as a team, play the game. It's really fun fun game. I enjoy uh, mobas. Have you ever
1: tried any mobas, Adam? Um, I I have tried. And just kind of you know th- that barrier to entry, I think, is still pretty high. And I was going to ask you that: how much you think you were able to adapt quickly and appreciate Heroes of the Storm because you were already accustomed to MOBAs, and how like you felt Heroes of the Storm might fall within the MOBAs that are out there in terms of accessibility and understanding for someone who's nowhere near <laughs> school <laughs> in, the, in the art of playing them. Well, you know,
0: HOTS is the first MOBA that I have really gotten into. I didn't get into League or Dota. Um, I was very intimidated by those games, and... Um I was a little intimidated by this, but the fact that I got into the alpha and then the beta, I felt like, okay, well, it's going to be a much smaller pool of players. I'm going to be learning with everybody, and yeah, that was the reason yeah. that I gave it a try. I think it is a much more welcoming game, the fact that you're not leveling your character individually. You're leveling your team, but you do have responsibilities to the team. It's not like you can just rely on the rest of the team to to level up. You have to contribute to that. Um But they, they do a lot of really smart things. There's a lot less just mishigas to learn like you don't have to learn this whole item inventory system that is in in dota um i think it's a much more accessible game but i have said on this show over the last several weeks how i have gotten to a point of skill in the game where now i only want to play with people of that know what they're doing and oh no yeah I, I, and it's, and I understand for the first time, I understand those people that get frustrated with, with noobs, you know, I hate that mentality and I hate that I'm, I'm understanding it, but there's a certain level of team play that is required. And I feel like it's such a challenge with these type of games to communicate what people need to do to contribute to their team and make them get past that, that hump, that learning that, uh, you know, learn the the things that they need to do quickly so that they can tri- contribute and not be an anchor to an otherwise good team.
1: You know, I mean, that, 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 that seems to highlight like a, a philosophy I have about games in general, that I think is really, really amplified when it comes to something like a MOBA, uh, which is, you know, you, you, if you start to look at games as language and that you're acquiring the language yeah. and you understand the vernacular, you understand how to speak in it. And then suddenly, you know, when you're fluent, as you clearly have become, you know, that's one thing. And it's kind of like, you know, you see people come in that cannot communicate with you. And it's not right. just because they don't know the terminology, but they just can't kind of put their brain in that mindset. And I think that's both what's really awesome and why people can get so passionate about them. But then it has this funny effect like, oh God, I have to learn this. You know, I have to, I have to learn something new. And all these people, you know, they don't want to talk to me. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you go to Paris for the first time and you don't speak French. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a fascinating thing that I think as especially that genre and probably other things like it grow is to kind of start to think from the outset, how do you teach the language to the player so that you can always get new people that are willing to come in and aren't going to be scared off while at the same time preserving your justifiable desire to want to play at the level that you have now earned yourself to play at.
0: Yeah, it, I think that is the biggest, pro, the biggest challenge that they that they face. Um And I make the analogy all the time to like a pickup game of basketball, right? You wouldn't stroll onto a court with a bunch of guys that clearly know how to play basketball and yeah. not know the fundamental aspects of basketball, right? You wouldn't yeah. even dream of that. And, and yet, there's also something really great about the fact that anybody can download these games. They're free to play and you can just start playing. Like, I, I don't want that to go away. I don't want the accessibility to be infringed upon. But at the same time, there has Do to be some way like to communicate. A lower that.
1: Playground? Like, where the, where, where the young kids would go, where you kind of learn how to socialize. <laughs> and not yeah. you know, yeah. say and not pee. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that, I mean that's what I would be very comfortable. I would I would probably gravitate towards a MOBA where there was a certain segmented area of play which was designed for you to experiment and to fail to learn how you're supposed to play it. But I don't want to do that on somebody else's time when I'm suddenly the rock that they have to carry through the match. Right. And then you
0: have to worry about uh jerks going into that pool and being you know skilled and just cleaning house with all well, the people in that get, pool i
1: mean that's like that, yeah, that, right. that, that, that should come across as annoying as if a 10 year old went to the you know little kids playground and started slapping them around <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> i mean it's like you just kind of suck as a person if you do that <laughs> <laughs> right Anyway, I,
0: I, people have very, uh, polarizing views as to when I, when I go deep dive onto, uh, Heroes of the Storm, but it's a game that I've put lots of hours into. I play it daily, uh, and I've, I've gotten to that next level and I really enjoy next level discussions on games. I mean, I love talking about the new cool game and I love, you know, narrative based Mm -hmm. games, but there is this wonderful, you know, talking to somebody who's really good at Forza or, you know, somebody that's really great at Street Fighter and hearing, that next level play I find so fascinating.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I, I, I think you just hit on it once again. It just, it really is funny how like games like that, I they, they, they really come across to me as language. And I think that's why when you talk about it so much, people seem to get more annoyed than say you were talking about other games because it feels (laughs) like that everyone's over there having a really cool discussion in code and I'm sitting over here and I have nothing to contribute nor to appreciate. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, that's so true. That's so true. All right. Well, that being said, I'll move on. We have uh, another fun segment that I've been introducing lately uh, called stories of glories and tales of fails. And this is where viewers uh, will, or excuse me, listeners will send in uh, stories of video game experiences, Experiences. I happen to really love this one. It's a short one. It was sent in by Anthony Williams. He sent it to uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, or you can also post it on our subreddit over at uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, this, <laughs> this is great. It's for, Again, from Anthony Williams. He says, this year, I brought my 10-year-old daughter to PAX East. And while we were there, I picked up Andrew Yoon, the late Andrew Yoon, friend of, friend of ours. Uh, Andrew Yoon's Divorce the Game. Uh, it's a simple-to-learn two-player card game that involves keeping or passing cards that have different monetary and or game-affecting values. When we got back to the hotel, my daughter wanted to play, and I figured we could just give it a shot. Very early in the game, she drew a card that said, buy a pony for Sally. The pony would cost $10,000, but would also give you plus three affection from your in-game daughter, Sally. My daughter looked at me and wondered, I only have $10,000, why do I need the pony? I explained, well, you would have no money left, but Sally would love you more. That's when she looked at me in the eyes, threw the card aside, and said, well, Sally's not going to get a damn pony. Immediately, I said, aha, that's parenting. (laughs) So uh, we have to say that with affection to our uh, late friend, yes, Andrew yes, Yoon, and yes. the, uh, the, the wonderful, wonderful guy he was in a great game he created to create that kind of moment for a
2: father and a daughter. I was about to
1: say, I, I, it, it is a horrible shame that he could not uh, get to read or hear this story himself, because I think it yeah. definitely is a testament that he did it right with this game.
0: Yeah. For sure. I haven't had a chance to play that card game yet. I one of my big regrets uh, was that Andrew had invited me uh, several times to be on his his board gaming panel at Pax Pax's uh, previous and uh I had not been able to join him and I I'm dying to play it. I really um, would love to to see the game that he created and I've only heard great things about it. So, hopefully I'll get yeah. a chance soon. Yeah. I'm going to have to check this out myself. <clears throat> All right. uh, Speaking of board games, we are going to cruise into the last segment of the show, and that is tabletop time. Right now, right now i do love my bumpers adam i do love my bumpers
1: i gotta say um, i mean it's like I'm, I'm like damn i gotta pull out my wrist right now
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> uh i know you're not uh, too into uh, designer board games but well, um
1: it's not that i'm not into them it's just like i i, I cannot fit one more activity into my life
0: <laughs> i know how that
1: designer, is so i'm very interested in hearing this
0: segment so <laughs> cool uh, well, it's un- unfortunate because that, uh, Christian had to bail because I actually had him over last night and we, uh, we played some games and we were going to talk about them. So I'll wait for next week to talk about those. And I will talk about another cool, uh, experience that I had. I, um, Quentin Smith from, uh, from Shut Up and Sit Down, who was on this show a while back, uh, was, Made one of his rare appearances in the States and he was down here in Southern California. And I met up with him at his hotel room and we played some games. Uh, one of which is a game called Dragon's Gold, which I have never played. This game is awesome. So the basically the idea is you are a bunch of adventurers, uh, who are killing dragons and killing dragons in the game is easy. Killing dragons, no problem. Uh, you just assign uh, your group of adventurers, and as long as the their little number in the upper left of their card is higher cumulatively than the monster's value, you beat the beat the dragon. No problem, and you take his gold. Uh, and you have a pack of adventurers. Each player has four cards: two warriors, a thief, and a and a mage. And you can um, and each has a different value. and And as you assign uh, one at a time, you are The cumulative values from all the players that are assigned to that particular dragon can defeat the dragon. No problem. Your adventurers are never going to die. It's easy. The tough part is splitting up the booty, because all the dragons are hoarding gold. And once you as a group as a team have uh, exceeded the value of the dragon, that dragon is defeated, and then it's up to you to divide up the gold. And that is a timed one minute experience, which is just pure open negotiation. So you have to figure out There's different amounts of gold and there's different kinds of gold. There's gems, there's precious gems, and all of them have different point values that are going to add up at the end of the game. And you're trying to collect sets of these kinds of gems and, and it's all hidden. You have a little shield that hides the gems that you've already accumulated. So nobody knows exactly what everybody is shooting for, but you kind of remember what somebody wanted and you have to figure out in one minute. How to divide up the dragon's gold each time you defeat a dragon. So you say things like, okay, I'll take the this gold piece and I'll let you have the two gems. And that person goes, no, 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 I want the gold piece and one of the gems and you only get one of the gems because my, my character was so much more powerful than yours. Oh, well, then I don't even want to do it. And then there's this wonderful bluffing because if the one minute runs out and you haven't come to an agreement – Nobody gets anything. So it's like, well, I'll just, I'll just let the timer run out. I don't even care. No, no, no. Come on, come on. Let's just make a deal. Let's make a deal. It is wild and ridiculous. And you start saying ridiculous things like, okay, okay. You just take all the gold. And as long as I get three of the clear gems or next time, next time, I'll let you have three gold pieces. I promise. I promise. Just let me have these now. It is, it's crazy. And because there's this tension of the timer ticking away, and then you get into situations where it's not just two of you that were involved in the dragon. There's like three or four people. And so you have to appease three or four people. Oh, it is zany and fun and, and really ridiculous. Uh, and, and also there's added bits because if you have a thief character in the, uh, in the defeat of the dragon involved in the defeat of the dragon, that means you get to reach behind somebody else's little screen and steal blindly one of their gems Wow. Uh, and, it's it's great it's really silly and fun uh we had a great time playing it so that's dragons gold um i don't know who publishes it because i wasn't planning on talking about it today but uh really great game i love i love the idea that yeah killing the dragon's easy it's the uh <laughs> it's figuring it's the out human who stuff got what. That actually gets
1: really hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah because exactly. you know, is, 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 I've, I've heard of games, not, not, not that game in particular, but I've been hearing more about these games that kind of become these fascinating social commentaries. That it really is the social aspect of you playing the tabletop game is what they're really exploiting for the tension and the fun rather than, you know, trying to create sort of an imaginary, like, you know, trying, trying to do stuff that's more indicative, say, of a, of a, uh, of a video game, something that, that has right. a sense of narrative or something like that.
0: Yeah. That's what I love most about designer board games is the ones that really embrace the fact that I'm sitting across a table from other human beings. And that interaction is key to the experience. Um, you know, this is like, it's like diplomacy or, or something. It's where these games where it's, how far are you willing to screw over your neighbor? How far are you willing to, you know, what kind of crazy scheme are you going to put into um, employ? Um, Again, this is Dragon's Gold. It was, it was designed by Bruno Fiduti, who's a renowned designer. And it uh, looks like it's published by um, IDW. Looks like IDW has the newest version. Anyway, um, really a blast to play. I had a great time playing it.
1: Hey, if, 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 if you don't mind, and actually, I'll throw this out to the audience as well. Um, as, as I mentioned to you, Jeff, I had the the pleasure of hanging out with my three year old godson, and he was able to pass on a couple of diseases to me. Which, um, <laughs> but you know, in, in terms of games, obviously, you know, I want to kind of keep an eye on his game education. And I didn't know since I was a three or four year old and candy land and stuff like that. Like how much that landscape has changed for the, the very, very young set and board games and those kind of activities out there, because it's obviously yeah. something I want to be increasingly mindful of as, as, as he grows up. Uh, yes. Uh, there, I, that
0: is something that I've had a great time with my, um, with my nephews as well. Last Christmas, I gave both of them board games and, um, you know, three is, is, is rough. There, there are you- great, Yeah, there are great games for real, real young kids. Uh, I'm not particularly familiar with them, but uh, as he gets older, there's so much great stuff that, you know, I love video games. I'm not going to say that kids shouldn't be playing video games, but I think that the social interaction and the problem solving that happens in board games with young kids is so cool. And to see them get jazzed about it, like to see my nephews get jazzed about it, um, i I gave my uh, the older kid, who's 10, I gave him this Christmas um, a cooperative game that we could all play together called Forbidden Island, which is really, really fun. Uh, and that's all about sort of escaping this island as it sinks beneath the sand, uh, and you have to collect these artifacts as you go, and everybody has to work together and has different roles to play. Really fun game. And I gave um, the younger kid, who's 5, a a racing game, and it's called uh monza monza i believe um let me look up look it up right now um uh yeah monza it's from um uh a it's called from haba games and haba makes games that are mostly made for kids and almost okay. all their games are fantastic h-a-b-a okay. haba games uh but look monza is great because it's basically, it's like a, it's a racing game, right? It's a Formula One style racing game. You're trying to get to the end of the track. So kids get it. If you are first, you win. Um And the idea is that you roll these dice that have different colors on each side. And it's a whole bunch of them, like six of these dice you roll at once. And so a bunch of different colors come up and each of the little spaces on the racetrack is a different color. And so you can use up your dice with each you know each color that came up use it up once to move to that colored space but it's sort of about planning your route because if you go okay i have a red and there's a red in front of me so i can move to that red space and now i can only move to blue white or yellow okay i have a yellow so let's move to yellow and so i've used up those two and now i have a green oh shoot there's no green in front of me but i also have a purple okay i can move to purple so it's all about like planning your route most efficiently but it's uh-huh. so simple that real young kids can get it as well Got um it. Really slick game, cool bits of strategy and, and accessible and fast enough that kids aren't going to lose their interest at a, at that's a young age either. part too, because
1: you probably have about a 20 minute window before they're yeah, off or something yeah,
0: else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great, man. I, I, um, one of the real joys of all this stuff is to be able to share it with my nephews. They're, they just um, eat we, it yeah. up and have such a yep. great time. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, All right. Well, um, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, We are going to have a parting gift right here at the end of the show. But before we do, um, why don't you remind folks where they can keep up with you and find out more about what you're doing?
1: Well, to find out what I'm doing or keep up with me, your best bet is Twitter. Uh, Whoever that guy is called Adam Sussman on Facebook ain't me. Um, (laughs) someone has low aspirations in their fantasy life Um, but yeah, I'm at Adam Sessler so it's really easy Um, obviously the big thing that I'm involved with right now is working with a company called Roto VR on a chair that is designed to handle some of the biggest issues surrounding VR primarily uh, both cord management so you can do a full 360 without getting caught up in the cables and also uh, handling aspects of the nausea that gives you a place where you can guide your movement with your head so the water table uh, between your two ears isn't as thrown off as a lot of people have encountered when they're in a VR experience. Uh, we're in the middle of a Kickstarter. It's a modest goal of 85,000 uh, pounds sterling. Um, we are very, very far behind. And so this is kind of a personal plea for people to take a look, see if you get interested, and just whatever little you could donate, it would be so greatly appreciated. We need it solely for the purpose of doing production tooling, to have a capital investment to make a certain type of equipment that would allow us to go into production. The research and development and all that, which was not crowdfunded, uh, has already taken place. And we just need to kind of ask for a little bit of help from the public in this one instance to get over probably one of the steeper, uh, financial Hills when you're going through the process of putting together a piece of hardware like this. Um, I hope that was, and and (laughs) you
0: yeah, no, it was, uh, you, and you, you don't have to be a a UK citizen to donate, right? You can even if it's in pounds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it is a UK-based company that I'm working with, and so obviously, uh, because they're going to reasonably be geographically centric, uh, that is in Pound Sterling, not in American dollars. But yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, very cool. Check it out. That's uh, the Roto Chair on on Kickstarter. It certainly got my mind uh, excited for the possibilities of of all the the great things we have to look forward to for VR. So, and yeah, I mean the, the chair itself, it, you can, it, it's sort of, you can get it as a reward for the Kickstarter, but again, you don't have to donate at that level. Uh, you can just yep. donate to see it go into production at all, which is very cool. Um, I know that Christian uh, is in absentia, but he would want me to mention his uh, comedy album, A Moment in Time, which is on iTunes and uh, other places that you find great audio. Um, it charted on the Billboard top whatever list, top 100, whatever it is. It was really high – it's it's great. I find it hilarious. Uh, support Christian and and give his album a listen. It's really cool. It's called A Moment in Time. Also, uh, check out my other shows. I do a comedy show called We Have Concerns with Anthony Carboni, your old buddy hey. Anthony Carboni. That's right. And uh, that's at We Have dot com. And uh, I do uh, film reviews on the slash filmcast at slash filmcast dot com. And you can also always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada. Uh, do check out our subreddit for this show we have awesome talk backs every week there's uh really cool people hanging out in there you could submit stories of the week and more that's at five by five dot tv uh or excuse me reddit dot uh, what is it five by five dot tv no i'm ta- i'm giving the uh e- the web address it's <laughs> five by five dlc dot reddit dot there com go. there we go it's you know it's the end of the show um all right so let's uh let's get now to our parting gift.
1: Hey give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift.
0: Adam we got a suggestion to give the people uh, get them through their week.
1: Yeah you know uh, well, I I think what I would recommend it came up between Christian and myself uh, last night was this absolutely Astonishing conclusion to the HBO uh, documentary series "The Jinx" about the insanely wealthy Robert Durst, who is a member of one of the largest real estate, um, one of the largest owners of real estate in Manhattan, uh, who has been suspected to be involved in the murders of three people, uh, not the least of which included his wife back in 1982. Uh, the documentary traces through the entire story, but also involves him willing to be subjected to interviews by the director. It's one of those rare moments of Television, I don't even know if you can call it entertainment, that just will not happen again. And it resolved itself in one of the most chilling ways I have ever seen. It was just one of those kind of extraordinary experiences I'll never forget.
0: Wow. I am behind on this, uh, and I definitely want to catch up yeah, because everybody still, just, is talking you, about it.
1: You, you just watch one episode, you will watch all the five others. It just it, all it, it right. is just that gripping and compelling.
0: Sounds like I have my afternoon set out in front of me. There you um, go. On the other end of the spectrum, I would like to recommend another new television show that I just find amazing and hilarious and wonderful in every way. And it's called Last Man on Earth. Uh, it's with one of my favorite comedians, Will Forte. And it is exactly what the title suggests. It's about the last man on Earth, post apocalyptic. We don't really know what happened, but we know he's the last guy. And it's that, uh, you know, that old adage, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on Earth. Well, what happens if you are the last man on Earth? Uh, and I couldn't imagine a funnier person to be The Last Man on Earth, Will Forte. I don't want to spoil anything. You should watch the first two episodes uh, if without looking up any. Don't look on IMDb. Don't look it up at all. Just find them and watch them. Um, there's such funny stuff. And it's so quirky and unique. It's one of those special shows that uh, doesn't come around very often. So I, I highly recommend Last Man on Earth on Fox. All right. I'm going to try that out. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. It's so great. You'll dig it.
1: Uh, thank you, Adam. Dude, it was so fun talking with you. Oh, it's been too great. long since
0: we've hung out. Yeah, Yeah.
1: definitely. Yeah, I, I, I always thought it would be down in L.A. more frequently since I moved back up to California. Has not been the case. So please don't take it personally. It's, um, it's, oh, it's, no. it's, it's the airlines.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> we're glad you're doing well and, uh, and alive and kicking and uh, excited to see more from you. Anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. You got it. Thank um, you so much, man. Thank you. All right, that does it for this week of DLC. We'll be back next Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Hope to see you there. Uh, And until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.